Please stand as you're able for today's Old Testament lesson from the book of Exodus, chapter 7, verses 1 through 13. The Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh that to let the Israelites go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and I will multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. When Pharaoh does not listen to you, I will lay my hand upon Egypt and bring my people, the Israelites, company by company, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out from among them. Moses and Aaron did, did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Moses was 80 and Aaron 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, perform a wonder, then you shall say to Aaron, take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh and it will become a snake. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and they did as the Lord had commanded. Aaron threw down his staff before Pharaoh and his officials and it became a snake. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers and they all also, the magicians of Egypt, did the same by their secret acts. Each one threw down his staff and they became like snakes, but Aaron's staff swallowed theirs up theirs. Still Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, Lonnie, thank you for reading our lesson. Grace and peace to each of you uh, on this beautiful Sabbath Sunday morning. Uh, it feels especially right and good to be with you in worship today. Many of you were here on Friday, as Casey mentioned, for the homegoing service of our beloved uh, Bishop Bob Spain. And I tell you, I went home Friday afternoon uh, so thankful for this body so thankful for the grace of God that we've experienced in this fellowship. You're an amazing church and the way that you care and your compassion for those who are in need and there's great need, as Casey shared with us, is just off the charts. And to have had the choir there and to have Carol Cavan Dillon from West End with us and of course our own Bishop Pennell um, was a holy, holy hour and one that made me, I think all of us who were there, deeply, deeply grateful for the connections that we have across the church. And so I just want to say what a blessing it is to be in this place today with each of you. Casey, thank you for your prayers today, and Ryan, musicians, and all of our friends who are leading us. Um, let me kind of set the stage for a moment, because I know when we were reading that particular scripture, you were buckling the seatbelt and going, where are we going today? If you've been with us the last five weeks, you know that we're in week six of this series called Deliverance on the book of Exodus, and we're sequentially working our way through what the Hebrew, our Hebrew friends call the book of names that we call the book of Exodus. And last week, we talked about the fact that obedience to God does not instantly translate into successful results. We know that to be true. Obedience to God doesn't necessarily automatically lead us to peace and tranquility. In fact, on the contrary, it may get you into trouble in the world. Following Jesus will eventually, because there is a cross involved, get you 
into some hot water, and it certainly did for Moses. Moses and Aaron repeatedly challenged Pharaoh, who was kind of the king of the world, to release the Hebrew slaves. In fact, in the text we just read, they even got out the snakes. Moses has some relatives in East Tennessee, (laughs) Northwest Georgia. They got out the snakes. And in one case, isn't it interesting, did you notice how Aaron's snake swallowed up Pharaoh's snake, which should have been a sign to Pharaoh that this is probably not going to end well for you. And so they went back and forth, but Pharaoh refused. And you can understand it. Let's just take Pharaoh's point of view for just a moment. You can't have a couple of slave boys dictating Egyptian rule, can you? You can't allow the help to dictate the policy of the nation. And so I guess I can understand things got worse before they got better. They always do. And evil will not go down without a fight. I think maybe that's why, just maybe that's why, in the prayer that we prayed a moment ago that Jesus taught us, he taught us to say, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And we all need deliverance from evil. I think it was Alexander Solzhenitsyn, the Russian writer who suffered in the gulag, who said the line separating good and evil passes not through states, not between classes or between political parties, but right through every human heart. I need deliverance. We all need deliverance from sin and evil in whatever form it presents itself. And I'm glad to tell you this morning, we have it. We have it in Christ Jesus, about whom it is said in 1 John 1, 9, listen to this, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and deliver us, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We have it. Chapter 7, Exodus 7, is yet another call to Jochebed's boys, Moses and Aaron, to speak truth to power, to demand freedom for the Israelites. But notice this. They weren't asking for freedom for freedom's sake. They were asking for freedom for worship's sake. Did you notice this recurring phrase? Let my people go. Why? So that they may worship me, says the Lord. I have to say for a moment that that appeal in the palace to Pharaoh must have sounded like blasphemy to the king. Why? Because the people thought Pharaoh was a god. Monotheism was a foreign concept in ancient Egypt because they believed in numerous gods. In fact, historians tell us that they may have believed in as many as 2,000 deities in the Egyptian pantheon. So they were not unspiritual, but they had no room for Yahweh. They had no room for God. I'm reminded today of how grateful I am for the First Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, and I hope you are too, which says, and I quote, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion, my favorite part, or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. 
What we're doing this morning here in worship is free exercising. (laughs) That we have the God-given privilege and freedom to come and worship God, to praise God, to pray to God without threat here. It was Mr. Jefferson who said, freedom of religion is the most inalienable and sacred of all human rights. And so we need to stop a moment and thank God what a privilege it is that we can come without threat to worship Him. Of course, the amendment goes on to talk about freedom of speech, press, peaceful assembly, but the Hebrews had none of that. It was all denied them by Pharaoh, who had no room for Yahweh. I think you can look later on in history and say that the same thing happened for the Christians, the Christ followers in Rome. The Romans referred to the disciples as atheists. You know why? Because the Christians refused to worship the Roman pantheon of gods, neither would they bow the knee to Caesar, who was considered a god. Consequently, they were persecuted, harassed, and slain because of their refusal to acknowledge civil religion, which turned out neither to be civil nor religious. It was the power of the state. By the way, it's no coincidence that after the escape from Egypt, after their deliverance, when they're wandering in the wilderness, Moses goes up to Sinai, and what is the first commandment that God delivers to him? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And so the whole purpose of the Israelite existence, the whole purpose of our existence is worship. Not just sitting in a beautiful sanctuary. Worship is not just liturgy. Liturgy, it's life. It means that everything I do, everything that I am and hope to be, is an act of worship to the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses. It's a fundamental human right which Pharaoh denied to a whole race of people. Now, having said that, I want to get to the text for a moment. Because there's a verse in what, Lonnie, what you read for us, there's a verse in chapter 7 that I have to tell you is very troubling to me. After God yet again commands Moses and Aaron to demand release for the captives, God says, P.S. in verse 3, oh, by the way, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. Am I the only one? This is troubling to me. Not, not the signs and wonders part. I like that. But the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. Why on earth would God do such a thing? Why would God sabotage his purpose of the deliverance by hardening Pharaoh's heart? There's a similar line in verse 13, chapter 7, except there it seems that Pharaoh has hardened his own heart. So when you get into the 10 plagues, and we're going to do that next week, chapters 7 through 11 of Exodus, after each plague, sometimes it says, and God hardens Pharaoh's heart. Sometimes it says Pharaoh hardens his own heart. And is it just me, or is the writer a little ambivalent at this point? Well, I'll tell you what I think. I think the writer, perhaps Moses, whoever it was, the author, is being intentionally ambivalent at this point. 
because he's illustrating the mysterious nature of human evil. It's not easy to explain. It's not easy to make sense about. It's not easy to understand. And the question beneath this text, at least the way I read it, is this. Here's the question. If God is in control, then why is there so much pain? If God is in charge, why is there so much suffering? Why is there so much evil in the world? By the way, some people choose not to believe in God at all for this reason, because of the suffering that's in the world. There are times, however, I feel God asking me, if you really are a disciple of mine and made in my image, why is there so much suffering and pain in your world and evil in your world? I think the question probably goes both ways. It is important also to note that as early as the commissioning of Moses, the burning bush scene in chapter 4, God forewarned Moses that Pharaoh was not going to take this well, that he was going to be resistant, hard-hearted. But is Pharaoh's resistance God's doing? Or is it Pharaoh's doing? It's also worth noting that in the Scriptures, I don't know if you notice this, there is a, there's always a correlation between a hard heart and a deaf ear. And my wife told me that. <laughs> I'm not talking physically. I'm talking spiritually. I'm talking psychologically, emotionally, relationally, that a hard heart leads to a deaf ear and vice versa. And you see this in verse 13. Still Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to the Lord. And by the way, since it's just us talking, that response is not just peculiar to non-faithful people. It's true of all of us. Ezekiel 3, verse 7, I'll give you an example. God says to the prophet Ezekiel, the house of Israel will not listen to you because they are not willing to listen to me because they are hard-hearted and hard-headed. Bishop McAlilly came home from the hospital on Friday. Our bishop, who was involved in an accident three weeks ago on Thursday, he was nearly killed, multiple fractures. Some of you have been so helpful. Paula Grout, Ron Davis, who actually facilitated and helped to build the ramps into his house so that Friday the wheelchair could roll up and also in the den and in other places to make it uh, uh, so that he could get around there. Multiple fractures. Three weeks ago on Thursday, he also hit his head on the windshield. I saw the car. It's unbelievable that he came through it. His head hit the windshield and broke the glass. But amazingly, there are no problems with our bishop's head. He is still thoughtful. He has all of his memories about him. And I said to him in the hospital, Bishop, I've always known this about you, but I just thank God that you're so hard-headed. <laughs> and you know what he said to me? I can't, I can't repeat it. <laughs> but suffice it to say, it's not just an Egyptian problem. It's a human problem. Hard-headed, hard-hearted, deaf ears. Jesus diagnosed the same thing in his day. He said, look, the heart of my people, the heart of these people has become hardened and their ears no longer listen. Listen. 
There is a correlation, isn't there, between open ears and pliable hearts. But I'm troubled by this verse, by this business of perhaps God hardening Pharaoh's heart. If, in fact, God hardened Pharaoh's heart, then maybe Pharaoh isn't responsible for his actions. Hmm. It reminds me of the term, it's a psychological term, determinism. You know this term? This is the doctrine that says all events, including human behavior, are ultimately determined by causes beyond your will. This, thus, individual human beings cannot be held responsible for our moral actions. <laughs> That's a Hebrew word, by the way. It sounds a little bit like predestination, predeterminism. I remember, you remember the Presbyterian that fell down the steps and got up and said, I'm glad that's over with. <laughs> Not everything is predetermined. Not everything is predestined. I think it was Stephen Hawking who once said, I've noticed that even people who claim that everything is predestined and that we can do nothing about it still look both ways before they cross the street. And I've never believed in double predestination. Do you know that one? That means that God elects this group and condemns this group to hell before they're ever born. I don't buy that. I don't think that everything that happens is God's will. I don't think that it was God's will that Eliza Fletcher was killed in Memphis. I don't think it was the will of God that Ukraine has been ransacked. I think that's the will of a defiant Pharaoh. I don't think it was God's will that my father had a stroke at the age of 63. I don't think it's God's will that my friend's daughter had a miscarriage. And so I think it's very important for us to say in the name of God that God can steer evil towards good but God will never engineer evil. He won't do it. I remember Paul's words. Y'all remember the series we did in the summer? I'm sure you do. Life verses. Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things God works together for good for those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. Paul never says God causes everything. He says he works in all things. In fact, this is biblical. This was Joseph's confession of faith. You remember, after all that Joseph had been through with his brothers, he's wearing that colored jacket, and they throw him into the pit and then sell him to, uh, to Midianites, gypsies who are on their way to, to Egypt, and then he's incarcerated because of false charges. He goes through all of this, and then before long, he rises to the position of prime minister and he saves the region from the famine and his brothers come to see him not knowing who he is. And he says, what you guys intended for evil, God has used for good. That's what God does. That's, what, that's who God, he doesn't cause all of it, but he can certainly use it. He certainly has in my life so as disciples of Jesus in what we call the Wesleyan lineage, we have a concept that we believe 
called free will. That is, by virtue of the fact that we're made in the image of God, and that's all of us, we have a will of our own. If you don't believe me, after church, let's go down to the preschool wing. I'll show you. Lanier will show you. Or how about this little guy? He's showing us. He's almost 10 months old. He's already driving. (laughs) And he's got a will of his own, especially at the table. He got it from my wife's side of the family. (laughs) He actually got it from his mother, and Sherry and I call that payback. (laughs) God is good. Here's what I'm saying. Where there's a will, there's a human. That's part of your creation. Being made in the image of God, he gave you a will of your own, and God will not violate our will. He could. It's like a parent. When Sherry and I were parents of teenagers, we were, we were in charge, but we weren't in control. We couldn't watch every move. We couldn't get in every car. We didn't go on every date. We were in charge, but we weren't in control. God is in charge, but sometimes he allows us to choose. We call it free will, and we're grateful. Let me give you an example. I'm almost done. An example of this is the prodigal son. I love this story, Luke 15. We've lived it, many of us. I've been the prodigal. I've been the elder brother. I've been the loving father. I was once the roasted calf. (laughs) This boy ran away from home. He went to the far country, and this is Luke's way of saying he went to Gentile territory. He blew all of his father's estate, (laughs) and he winds up working in a pig farm for Bob Evans. About as low as a Jewish boy can go. It wasn't his father's desire. I mean, what should daddy have done? Should he, should he have handcuffed him to the barn door? That's not going to work. Lock him up in the closet for 10 years? Good luck with that. No, the father, the father let him go. Sometimes... Love just lets go. I used to hear it when I was a teenager. I never believed it then. I don't believe it now. When they would say, oh, if you really love him, let him go. And if he comes back, it was meant to be. I saw something the other day that challenged that. It said, if you love him, let him go. If he comes back, let him go again because nobody wants him. (laughs) But sometimes, sovereign love lets go. He let him go. You know why? Because you can't force love. You can't coerce love. You can't manipulate relationships because you're not a Stepford wife and I'm not a wooden boy. He let him go. That's what love will do. Having said that, however, listen, I have seen situations, and you have too, where one has become so defiant and distant towards God that even the mention of God's name 
serves to harden that heart. The real word for harden is heavy. It makes the heart heavy. I think Pharaoh was so steeped in his own self-importance that the notion of a God who supported and gave aid to a minority of nobodies was anathema to him. So I suppose you could say in a way that God was the source of that heaviness for Pharaoh. I've seen it before, you've seen it, where sometimes grace and mercy actually can make a heart a little harder. But God is in the business of softening the heart. It's wedding season, or what we call in the church mating season. A lot of weddings coming up. I saw a couple at 8.30. We had just married the couple in Portland, Oregon, just a few weeks ago. And it occurred to me, whenever we have a wedding here, and we have a lot, that I never ask the couple, are you in love with each other? Although that's important. I always am charged by God to ask them, will you love each other? Will you comfort each other? Will you honor and cherish each other? Will you? There's not but one good answer to that question. And if the bride or the groom says, oh, I hope so, well, we'll see. If he minds, if she's nice, we'd have to stop the whole wedding. The only answer to that question is, I will. Because marriage covenant is not just a romance. It's a resolution. Jesus said, great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And that word strength, you know what it means in the Greek? Will. I will. And the amazing thing that can happen is that when my will aligns with God's will, when your will aligns with God's will, something really strange happens. Your eyes begin to see again. Your ears begin to hear again and your feet take you places you wouldn't have gone before. And a heavy heart, a resistant heart becomes soft with new life and purpose and meaning for worship. And that starts to happen when we acknowledge our chosenness and choose to say, I will serve, pray, give, worship. I will with all my heart to the glory of God. I hope you will in Jesus' name.